a shared sense of purpose and place in a post-pandemic world. Today, we're talking about the workplaces of the future. I'm Chaz, he's Britt, and this is The Furious Curious. Bill Dowser is a principal of Australian architecture practice at BVN. He has been involved in the design and direction of numerous award-winning projects ranging from public and education, educational and cultural buildings to commercial environments. Bill uh, has created Reply, which I'm really excited to get into also, which intercepts uh, the wood boards uh, that are used to secure uh, businesses uh, during periods of unrest this past year. He upcycles them to create a new indoor space for cherished restaurants, bars, cafes, uh, and reactivate our streets. That started in New York, and now it's in San Francisco. We'll talk about that. Uh, but first, we wanted to talk about workspaces of the future. So more specifically, the near future as we incrementally move into a post-pandemic work life. Uh, Bill Dowser, welcome to The Furious Curious. Thank you for being on. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. So we're going to kick it off and just, you know, give you some softballs here. So how Chaz and I are always fascinated by how people get into a profession, and especially those who can really align their passions with their profession. In Japan, they call this ikigai, right? I don't know if you've heard this term. I have. Um, it feels like you're in the ikigai from, from the outside. It seems like, you know, you've been able to meld expertise, experience, passion, and purpose, of course, as, we, as we'll talk about also. How, you know, how'd you get into architecture? More specifically, how did you get into designing workspaces? I'm curious. Um, a very, very circuitous route, <laughs> like, <laughs> like all things in terms yeah. of um, nothing planned. Sure. And, and, and it sort of happened through a series of circumstances. It's like getting into architecture school is that it was a third round offer after I got into commerce, which ah. I really didn't want to do. Um, so, you know, it, it, uh, a lot of things have, I've been very lucky in a lot of things have opened up and the opportunities have come about that have been very, very different. And, and it's a matter of, I mean, one of the things I've been lucky enough is just to, to take them and, and see where it, where it goes to. So the, the workplace, the actual, you know, from architecture school going into, um, and, and also I think being in the right environment with the right people, you know, I have some, had some great mentors um, that have been really important to me in, in, in my growth and, and the getting into workspace actually happened um, coming from an urban design background, having worked on the Sydney Olympic projects um, pre-2000, um, was this an offer of being involved in, a, in, a, in, a, in an interiors project, um, which I said yes, <laughs> um, which I think is the first key, because um, I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing mm. about what I was going into. And the interesting thing about that project was that it was working on a 12-storey, 1950s redo of a building, a redo of a 1950s building as a new workplace, mm. um, but where the client was actually the people director, not the not the not the real estate director. Oh, and that fundamentally changed everything. So Rosemary, uh. her name was Rosemary Kirkby, um, and um, what was interesting about that is that you know we instantly got on a plane, yeah, and you know being in an island on the other side of the world like we yeah. are. Um, we went to Europe and we went and saw all of the best new workplaces at the time, which was 20 years ago. Mm. And it was really about realizing that culture was important and how you know, how users use space. Yeah. And then how do you align a workplace with the culture of an organization and how can space affect behavior um, and how can it support the values of an organization? All things that I hadn't actually been concerned with while I was doing urban design overlays for, for, for road layouts for the, for the Olympic village. Gotcha. You, you said a lot of things that I think we're going to touch on in, in more detail here. I'm curious, uh, before we get deeper, you lived in New York, you were, you were in New York up until recently, you've moved back to yep. Sydney. I know, 
I know BVN has uh, offices uh, in both cities as well as Brisbane and, and London. Um, what precipitated the move back? I'm curious. Um, it was Sydney. time. It was time. Yeah. I also had a daughter who needed to, who wanted to start high school back in Australia. Gotcha. Um, but, but I went for the sort of initial period of setting up the office, setting up the studio in I the see. US. So my role was to really get it established and then, you know, make sure that it was handed on and, and, and that's the way it's precipitated. And it just so happened there happened to be a pandemic in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I left after I left um, New York about five months ago, four months ago. Okay. So it was, so I got to live through the whole lockdown in New York and yeah. experience all of that as well, which was a, you know, it's, it's, it's a powerful experience. I think on that, on the podcast, when you were on the impossible network, you talked about how you guys were talking about how shrill it was, how, how this, how empty the streets were, how just weird that was. Well, living, living, I was living in um, 29th street. So in Chelsea yeah. and the, the sound, it was actually the sound, oh, you know, yeah. the, you, the city. And, and, and I was luckily, I was up on the 37th floor of a building and, you know, you, there was no sound. And that was the eerie yeah. part about New, New York without sound yeah. is you just don't realize how important as a sense, yeah. um, the auditory perception of the city is. Sure. Yeah. Analogous to here in San Francisco, I remember going for a run right after the lockdown or close, close thereafter. And I remember the, it was the first time I could hear birds chirping in the trees. <laughs> and I had never, you know, there's so much traffic. I'm sure they're there yeah. and I'm sure they're chirping. But um, as all that subsided, you start to you start you started to hear these things that you didn't normally hear. And it was it was beautiful, but it was also eerie. So anyway, I, I resonate with that. So, the you know, the pandemic has created an ex exceptional opportunity for learning about how we work, you know, about what we need how we can work better. I know these are things you're all thinking about and talking about. So, and you talked about how spaces impact culture. I think that's, that's yeah. spot on. Um, and, you know, I would add to that, you know, architecture should reflect values. You know, I think about, I think about that. I don't know if I'm a big Brian Eno fan. He actually talks a little bit about this. He's not an architect, but I'm one of his biggest fans. He, I just, I just love everything he talks about. Um, but so what, what realignment of values are you seeing coming out of this pandemic and, and whether it's of your own discovery, your own observations or, and, or, uh, you know, the things that your clients are asking you about talking about. Oh, look, I think there's, there are so many. And I think that's why, I mean, the one thing is out of this is if we don't learn, this is an incredible opportunity to learn. Yeah. Like it's, you know, it's a horrendous opportunity, horrendous situation for a lot of people who've been really touched by, by the pandemic, but yeah. the, but for us, in terms of the way that we work and the way our businesses work, is is it's been an epic period or an incredible period of of, of rapid learning and relearning mm -hmm. um, and questioning. And yeah. I think and, and 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 almost understanding what is actually important. Right. Um, you know what's what really is important. And I think that that's what's been for me, the most refreshing part is to actually jettison all of the other crap that you don't need. Right. Um, and that can mean in, in many different spheres. Um, but it's that whole notion of, of really getting down to what is important. And, and, and part of what's important is actually connection yeah. and connection with people and, and, you know, the, the sort of isolation, loneliness, the importance of what our work organizations as another part of the linking network of our lives yeah. how important all of that is yeah just on that i thought it was pretty fascinating i saw an, an old video on the, the bbn site that uh, you know where you're speaking about the the concept of place and that yeah. you know this was sort of pre-pandemic but i imagine that the importance of place as that you know in, in the realm of a fully distributed workforce what are the elements of of you know, that make a good place that actually make a sort of destination where people can collaborate. I think you called it a laboratory for ideas. How, what are elements of a, of a great place that is optimal for the workplace of the future? Well, I think it's actually understanding. I mean, if you look at all of the surveys that have been done, um, most of the surveys on, on the people in to work, I mean, it's a, 
want to return for connection and collaboration, and they're not actually coming back to work. Mm. It's actually it's a different thing. So so to me to me or to us in terms of the work we do about the you know you actually have to make a place that people want to come to. Um, yeah. Interestingly, it has to be safe. Safe wasn't a word I would have used necessarily before, okay. um, but but and then safe doesn't mean you know um, it has to be covered in airbags or anything it's actually you actually need to create a place that people feel really comfortable and can come back to and i think and have a reason like especially when when you can do your work anywhere when we're all mobile we can actually we we're empowered now to to make choices you've got to make something really special in order for people to actually make the choice to go to it yeah right Um, and i think that's where the place you know, the place it brings together, again, the culture of the organisation, the personality, um, the things that are special or unique um, as the glue to bring people back. Sure. I mean, another concept that I heard you speak about is this idea of, the, you use the term looseness, I believe, uh, in terms of where ideas can be freely shared and iterated upon rather than, you know, again, where everyone's working from home and everything's an email or a Slack or what have you. There is a certain looseness to that physical proximity. Are there, are there elements of that interaction and that, and that looseness that you feel are going to be pivotal in terms of being dialed up for the, the workplace of the future? Well, again, I think that looseness comes to safety as well. It's safety yeah. of idea. It's safety of ideas. In that, mm-hmm. in that, you know, what has been, I think, the pandemic has actually helped us in this in organisations. Is that you know every idea is a good idea, and everybody is a little bit more aware of each other's well-being. So yeah. there's a little bit more awareness, and people are given a little bit more um, slack in the way. Like in, 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 you know, but. But people actually, what I think what we've seen is that people actually perform incredibly well. And they're, you know, once they feel empowered and they've got that empowerment, um, a lot of the, the, you know, I would say productivity has actually improved in some ways in some organisations. But I think that the, the, the importance of mentoring and bringing people, you know, the, the connection um, and learning is actually the biggest challenge in some ways of, of being distributed. And and you miss out on you know how you create the serendipitous right. interactions, those interactions that um, and and this was interestingly repositioned for me the other day too because I was sort of all about we have to be physically you know physical is how you do all this yeah but um, what's been interesting for us in our organisation is far more people are actually attending meetings as as a sort of um, in an observer role because they can now. Ah. And so they're, they're learning in a different way. There's a different osmotic learning process happening. So, you know, it's not all, it's not all bad. There's actually, there's really interesting things that are happening. It's just now, how do we create a hybridized world? Right. I see the measurables, which is people attending meetings and there's those measurables and then the more immeasurables, which is, I think, how, and I remember reading about Pixar and how they really designed, and other, in other companies, how they really designed you know, their workspaces to really create community, serendipity, collaboration, you know, as, as, uh, as somebody in the creative services industry, just like, just like Chaz, you know, I, I'm remarked at how much work gets done kind of outside the lines, right? Outside the yeah. meetings, outside yeah. that. And I don't know if we've seen this play out far enough to know how that impacts some of these less measurable things um, that result from collaboration and serendipity. You know, I guess the fear I have is businesses are looking at the balance sheet and saying, wow, we maybe we don't have to pay for this expensive suite in the city and maybe we can pocket this money and blame COVID and, you know, use health and safety as a certain veil and maybe we can fire some and send the rest home and work them harder and with no commute and no endpoint and with the job market in scarcity, it seems like a good business decision. So I'm, I'm seeing both of these things, these kind of draconian calculations, and then also the things you're talking about, which seems to be how can we retain this investment and this intentionality around community serendipity and collaboration? It seems like that's where the tension is right now. It is. It is. And I think yeah. it's also very different in all the different markets. Sure. So, you know, with us, you know, we have, we have a small team in London, small team in New York, and different speeds and different there are different stages yeah um in the pandemic and that's that's been really interesting for me personally to be able to sort of 
navigate between, you know, navigate the sort of differing needs in each one of those markets. Gotcha. Um, it's because, it, it, you know, in a way, um, in Australia, we're quite lucky here at the moment. We're very lucky. Um, in the, lucky the, the lucky country. Even. Well, it's 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 extraordinary. I mean, it's like where I mean, in 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 New South Wales, and I'm touching wood somewhere around me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've had I think 39 days of no community infection. Wow, which is extraordinary. Which means that everything is opening back up. People are coming back to work. So it's 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 almost a bit of a a sort of almost the sort of um, what's happening in our market is that. It, it, is, it was almost a few months, you know, six months ahead of where it might be, say, in the US, oh. once, once you've got, um, but also there was cultural differences originally as well. I mean, mm-hmm. in New York, we actually met on Zoom regularly rather than going 15 minutes in a subway or half an hour in a subway to go to a meeting. Right. Whereas that kind of didn't happen in Australia as much. So there's, it's been interesting to see the differences um, culturally and then 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 the, the severity of the lockdown in london has caused yeah. an amazing i mean you know, our colleagues there have really struggled in terms of the mm. this complete isolation and you can feel it in in their communication yeah so bill you mentioned um london new york sydney i mean all major metropolis metropolises mm. metropoli mm. <laughs> i mean uh, you, i've heard of you know interesting sort of stories around you know the austins of the world and the boises and the denvers certainly in the us um and you know some people have been talked about uh, a great northern migration up to sort of queensland and various sort of smaller cities <laughs> are, are you seeing that in terms of the development of, of you know projects that are coming across your desk or do you think that's short term or do you think that's more here to stay well, I think I think well, I think the pandemic has actually allowed people to make choices. Sure. You know, so you can make a choice, you know, you, you suddenly realize you can work in other places. And also, you know, what's important to you in terms of your value systems or all of those sort of things. And and you know, there's always been a, a flight to the more interesting creative hubs like like Austin and and um the and Boise and the ones you mentioned. Um, you know, they have always had there's an interest there because you're actually escaping the cost of living um, right. of, of expensive places. And I mean, it's a lot of the things that, I mean, I think Richard Florida wrote about years ago about the creative, um, creative class. There's a lot of really interesting things in that about, you know, going to sort of lower cost um, cities. So I thought places and, and it is happening here. I mean, I, I read that yesterday that Melbourne, in, which is the southernmost capital in Australia and has had the severest lockdowns, has actually had the biggest migration of people moving to southeast Queensland, so which yeah. is north and to the sunshine. So it's, it's definitely happening. Regional property prices in Australia are booming. Um, regional towns are absolutely profiting um, from, from people moving from the big cities into those areas. So that's happening here. Um, and I'm, and also I know from from New York, from Manhattan, you know, a lot of people left, um, and aren't necessarily coming back at the moment. Right. You touched on trust and trusting, you know, when things reopen, trusting, trusting employers that they will, you know, do the right thing, sanit- sanitization, whatever that looks like. So you, you talk about this need also to trust each other. Uh, uh, you know, employee to employee as we get back to work or in this yeah. idea of shared or collective responsibilities that is more important than ever and very contrary actually to an American ideal, uh, you know, our deeply held beliefs of individuality. One could argue this is why we're a little bit behind in terms of how how the pandemic manifested itself here. That's elsewhere. But what's an example of like how you see us coming back to work either full-time or in some hybrid version? Like how does architect architecture fit into that idea? It's interesting. You, you talk about America being um, might not be as close as quick on that, but it was interesting during the beginning of the pandemic yeah. in New York with the time. I mean, you know, the, the masks were being sold as you wear them because you assume you are positive and you don't want to infect other people. It was a really powerful right. message that New Yorkers actually grabbed 
yeah. at that time. So, you know, that, that the, 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 the sort of, it seemed to change, you know, the whole mask thing became politicized over sure. through a yeah. period, but, but, but it was interesting how, how New Yorkers did bond over a, a sort of collective good mm-hmm. at the time. But I think in terms of the workplace, how to, how to sort of build trust is, is it's things I mean, one of the things that's been interesting is about the individual ownership of space, uh, yeah. which has always been the sort of, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's agile and free address and, and all of those sorts of um, hot desking terms um, compared to, you know, I, I deserve, I, I own my space, I have my place to come to. And I think that's kind of changing a little bit. I think that, you know, in terms of, you know, even for ourselves, like the clean desk policy allows you to be able to be able to sanitize and clean the, and keep the keep the office as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. So, I think there's a and and the other thing is that we've all learned to be online with our files and and, and mm-hmm. so our need for stuff in the office has kind of changed. And that's happened with our with legal firms. We've been working with a major law firm across Canada and um, on a big project in Montreal at the moment, and that. Has really re you know pre pandemic, which is when we were doing all the design work. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know, every partner needed their office, and it was just mm-hmm. over my dead body. You know, I've got my books. Now mm-hmm. we've we've actually completely upturned the project, re, you know, turned the project on its head during the design process um, to look at actually the whole thing being a a a place where you come in and be part of community, and you book in, and you know that it's clean. You know, it's there's, there's a whole sort of safety protocol to to how you could use the space and i think that i don't know you know that that's sort of it's turned it away from being necessarily a real estate saving money thing to mm-hmm. potentially more of a safety and health wellness aspect mm. no it's, it's interesting reframing because i think yeah. so, so often we think well i need all this paraphernalia all my equipment uh, to do my job when you realize actually you can do it a lot more efficiently. And what was the phrase in, in fire club? Sometimes the things, you, the things you own end up owning you. Uh, it's probably a, a component of that as it relates to, uh, you know, being in the workforce. Uh, the, the, the question I had just coming out of that, it, yeah. like it, we're seeing these massive changes and very quick evolution in how we work and how workspaces look historically have there been, some like real missteps, you know, like Brett and I, we've talked about it before, like the open plan office, for example, like, mm-hmm. it, you know, the, mm-hmm. the pros and cons of that for sure. But is, are there some over the years that are absolute sort of patient zero for bad ideas in, in workplace design? Well, I think, you know, there, there has been dreadful versions of, of everything. I mean, in terms of mm-hmm. one of the things for us in terms of if you're going to agile and you're going to a more, um, free address environment is actually empowering people to make the choice to to do to work wherever they work within that that space that place mm-hmm. in in whatever way they determine is best for them and I think that takes a different management regime and and it's not it's not you know viewing people and and, and an observation and a presenteeism approach it's actually that you know, you've got trusted employees that are part of your organisation. Um, and, and so the ones that have been successful who've implemented an agile or, or free address environment are where they offer as much choice as possible for you to work in different ways, not just a, an economic rationalist version of driving down um, real estate costs. So right. I think the worst form... The worst form is actually stripping out all of the cost and doing it from a cost from a purely cost place because mm. it doesn't you don't get anything back in terms of what, what it does for people. Because that's where the trust goes. You know, you've got the cynicism in the organization, you have all of all of the things that are negative, it just it just heightens that 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 feeling. Totally. Right. Mm. Yeah. I mean even as you as you say that, Bill, I I've been at places where I do have a desk, basically a cubicle, that is open office, open space, right? And then I've had open ones where you know Chaz and I worked at the same ad agency a couple of years ago, um, 
and that was in a ballroom and that that felt that was open too but it wasn't permanent we didn't have permanent spaces mm. and there was something really great about that you know so i guess as i look I think, at the open off oh go ahead well no i just think the really important yeah. one too is to realize and this is the whole sort of introvert extrovert world i mean sure, you know the, right. we've moved to a, a sort of collaborative group think world that celebrates the kind of extrovert in in that way and i think right. what's been interesting is that you know a, a truly good agile space has a lot of retreat space it has a yeah. lot of places and yeah. and places you know little corners that you can you can go into so i think that you know you've really got to we we we, we are becoming far more conscious of the fact that it's actually got to be that, that there isn't one type of working model mm-hmm. you know there isn't one size fits all you know the, the the facilities world has actually wanted us to fit everybody into one size fits all, and we've we've gone through that process of you know single size desk for everybody, the same you know the sort of egalitarian thing. Once you've moved through that, you can go to the next stage, which is actually choice and being empowered by the quality of your technology allows you to be able to go anywhere, or or you know you're empowered because of the 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 the, the, the wellness attributes of the organisation, and you can. You know what's important is that you actually have balance in your life because you'll actually be much better. Um, you'll be produce better, and it'll actually be better for the organization and yourself. No, that makes a lot of sense. That actually corrects my thinking because at face value, I would always think like, okay, we had an open office concept that that was implemented by a lot across the world, but yep. then we had this this compelling argument too about work from home, and it, they felt like two separate opposite arguments telling me the merits of both, but that both were good. And what I'm hearing is actually there's, they're not opposite. They actually can coexist. We can pull the good things from one Mm -hmm. and the good things from the other and figure out how we move, how we take the insights of both of those and and how that informs a workspace of the future is what I'm hearing. I think that hybridization of everything or how you is, is all around empowerment and it's actually all Mm -hmm. about choice and respect and if and if we can that that to me to us in terms of the work that we've been doing that's kind of the the key um and then you know how do you create the space that revolves around wellness that that, that really does look at the environment because you know in terms of and in the environment in terms of you know how do you get good natural air, how do you get as much natural air into a space you know how do you actually open a window a very foreign foreign concept the last um, 30 years yeah. um, but those sort of things are really important in terms of in terms of and again that's empowering people to be able to go over and open a window you, you know uh, I, I was reading I, I think it was a report on steelcase.com and it had uh, the performance principles of the shared spaces of the future and I think the number one was well-being right so mm-hmm. even you think something as small as opening a window you think oh well, that's not a big deal but it's like well actually the last 30 years none of them have had windows that open because for whatever reason that is a very it's a novel revolutionary concept but the other things they said outside of well-being they had personality posture privacy and proximity i mean are, are there any of those that really sort of jump out more than others that you feel are going to be um you know i guess dialed up or or you know a hot commodities in the workplaces of the future well in Interesting one is the the proximity one is a it's it's a tool that we used to use pre-pandemic, which was we used to talk about density being a good thing because you put as many people together as possible. That's mm-hmm. been challenged um, <laughs> yeah. in terms of in terms of our thinking. Um, but you know, and it's been interesting in terms of our own our own space. So we're in in Sydney here. We have two hundred people in our office, and and we've been getting we're roughly back to around about. 50% of occupancy, um, but we are now redesigning. We're, we're, we're actually changing spaces because the reason people are coming in is actually for teams, mm-hmm. the, the team team dynamics. So we're actually creating a whole series of different team zones and then we're creating more sort of video booths. Um, and it's, it's, we're also, we're, we're basically allowing for desks for 65% of the population. And I think mm. it's the things that are going to support a high performance team or a team and collaboration coming back together, because that's the bit that we really want to foster. 
Yeah, that's that seems to be a reoccurring theme that we've that Chaz and I have talked about in other podcasts in terms of the creative process. Something that I struggled with as a, a creative trying to collaborate over over, you know, video. It's been really challenging. And I I, I can't think that it's just my line of work that has this challenge. So what I'm hearing is, you know, collaborate like tell me more about the collaboration. How do you see collaboration being fostered moving forward? Well, there's another interesting part to that too, which is actually yeah. reverse mentoring. Um, I just used, mm. you know, you always used to think of the mentoring is that, you know, me, senior person, will impart my knowledge to you all around you, around right. me. But in actual fact, through this sort of process, I completely rely on my younger team members to inform me on how to actually use things mm. and and do things in a different way. So there's a that's actually a really interesting dynamic in terms of. Um, in terms of teams too. And I think there is actually a, I think there's been interesting things about the sort of demographics and age, um, you know, the, the multiple generations that we have in a workplace um, is that how do, you know, how do you not as a more mature person get left behind with technology? And I've, and we've, you know, some of the tools, what's been great is the sort of whole idea in organizations was that, you know, these were the ones, the tools that were supported by the organization. Whether right. We do, we do, we only use you know, um, Microsoft or we only, you know, like there's this sort of standard things. I think what this has blown apart is that it's actually meant that people have actually had to source different tools and everybody's open to trialing a different tool. And, and mm-hmm. there have been some really interesting collaborative tools um, and I've been surprised by the fact that we have actually been able to just sort of brainstorm together as a team um, um, online. And, and it doesn't replace it. It just gives you another option. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, and it, but, it, but it has made a difference in terms of now organizations having to accept the fact that you could have, you know, it could be Zoom, it could be Teams, it could be any other form of um, coming together. And you can't just mandate we only do this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that shifts that whole mindset too from a from an IT perspective, a support perspective. And how are those how are those decisions made within your organization? Like is it sort of a bottom up when, when you talk about reverse mentoring or is it sort of yes. mandated by it? It is. Okay. No, great. it's it's ended up becoming, I mean, you know, we 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 used to mandate within reason. Um sure. But thankfully, we'd actually already moved to a, a sort of whole sort of Citrix, so a, a cloud-based um, computing world, which meant that we actually were able to start up everybody at home within a day without any trouble. And, well, I'm sure our ICT people wouldn't necessarily agree that it was that simple. But <laughs> as a user, it, it felt very simple for our from our perspective um, in terms of doing that. But um, but then I think what's been interesting is that, that this process has empowered people to say, hey, look, we've tried this and teams have been trialling different, different formats of, of coming together. And I think that's it's given people the sort of courage to have a voice that they might not have said things before. And, and everybody's actually open to the fact of, let's give it a go. Sure. We've got nothing to lose because basically our world's been upturned. Right. <laughs> so, you know, but I do think that the, the reverse mentoring is, is fundamental to an organization's health. Yeah, and that's, it's interesting, but we, we just, I think it was literally yesterday, uh, Chaz and I did an episode on, on ageism and we, we kind of unpacked that to really understand you know, what it is, what it looks like, why it's happening. And I think this kind of reverse mentorship, as you're talking about, I think is, is really interesting. Those who are open, who are, who are older, who are open to change, who are open to adapting, who are open to hearing about what um, their, you know, their younger counterparts are saying may work, I think is really cool. I think that's cool. Mm. And that's a unique mm. attribute. I think mm. it goes against, I think, a lot of people as they get older, their natural tendency to kind of dig in and do what they want to do and kind of they've always done it this way therefore we should keep doing it this way and i think it takes an intentionality to not do that to to let younger people mentor you as, as you're saying mm. i think that's cool 
It's really cool. And that goes with diversity of teams. I mean, that's diversity yes. of age. It's, it's, it's diversity at all points because um, we were working with a really dynamic group in New York called Convene who were a um, provider of um, spaces or event spaces and places in New York. And what was interesting is you had two founders of the company who were in their 30s um, who'd built this amazing thing. But number, the, the number three person at the time was the, the chief innovation officer was 73. And she was amazing. And, and what, what she brought was this, you, you know, it's, it's so much about people's own frame of mind. I mean, what right. she was excited about was she was able to finally do the things in, this start, in a startup world that she'd actually spent most of her career wanting to do. And she'd actually spent time with, um, her name um, was Joyce Bromberg, and she'd spent time with uh, many, many years with Steelcase and IDEO. Just to, just to switch gears a bit, like yeah. given that, what's that quote? Um, I think it was Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. He said, in some decades, nothing changes. Sometimes in a few weeks, decades change. So we are, you know, staring down the barrel of significant change. We have in the last 18 months or so. What, do you, what excites you the most about this post-pandemic world in terms of what you do in the day-to-day, whether it's designing, inspiring workspaces, getting engaged in your work? What, what what gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, it couldn't get any worse. Like the fear, fear, <laughs> fear goes. Fear, fear. Um, you get more courageous. You've got to be. Yeah. And 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 you give things a go, and it's okay to fail. You know, it's okay to try something. And I think that's it's far more forgiving. And that's yeah. been a really interesting thing. That's actually what helped us with our replay project. Um, is that. You know, we came from, we, we, we are part of a large um, architectural practice that, that practices um, as a serve, you know, services industry. And then to think about st- doing a startup ourselves was, was not something, before it would have taken us a lot of processes, we'd have gone through the board, we'd have done everything. But this time you actually, you just got on and did things. I feel like that's been one of the many silver linings of the pandemic is seeing how people are just adapting, how quickly they're adapting, and just the innovation and the perseverance. And I, mm. when, I, when I was talking about that with Mark, the first thing I was thinking about was this Reply project that you started. You know, you talked about it with, with Mark. You, I've heard about it on YouTube. You know, we'll link, to, uh, we'll link to it in our show notes. But it started, tell us more about this. Tell us the genesis of it. Like, it started in New York, um, and now, Chaz, to our pleasure, it's actually, there's an outpost here now in San Francisco. I just saw the website, Partner with Dialogue. Yep. Um, yeah, tell us, tell us more about this. It's just a brilliant idea. Well, it was really, I mean, our team, you know, we would have our 10 o'clock every morning team meeting in New York. Yeah. Um, and I'd been for a run that morning and seen all of the plywood going up everywhere, which was, you know, post the, the George Floyd um, uh, killing. And that yeah. was where you saw this sort of, the, the, the sort of, the sort of almost protective, this, this whole sort of, you know, re, um, defensive play happening in the city in in many of the cities across the u.s and i think the first thing that we would you know we came back and we were having this meeting and we we're going all of that all of that plywood's going to get a landfill in a very short yeah. period of time you know what 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 good can come out of this because good yeah. has to come you know there has to be some alternate you know different thing that could come so what we did was over a weekend um, and I have got a fan- there's a fantastic BVN team in New York is fantastic and and you know it was, everyone worked over the weekend to sort of come up with an idea about how we might repurpose the plywood to be able to make outdoor furniture to be able to help restaurants and bars open up because and and, and interestingly on the Monday the city decreed that that you could actually take the parking spaces outside of the restaurants mm-hmm. to to create outdoor dining so mm-hmm. it was timely yeah. um we managed to find you know we, we we also just instead of going through our usual process of documentation we literally it was designed on the weekend we we put out an, a, a a sort of a bulletin in a way to say we'd like to please donate your plywood to us but inundated with plywood um mm-hmm. and we basically we all got jumped in a u-haul truck and went around collecting it and realized how heavy plywood is um and and you know <laughs> Which was interesting. So it was interesting for us from the logistics side of things of actually getting in and f- and, and working with the material. But then we we sent the material to be cut by CNC um, cutters, who could turn it into furniture. Who would actually all were out of work 
Um, so there was it was sort of an opportunity to sort of go straight from 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 a three D file straight to um, being made into the furniture and then delivered. So what we did was end up creating a week turnaround. Basically, you could all and we created a a um, e commerce platform um, in in under a week. Wow. Um, regis- registered the company, and and we were ba- we had our first orders within the first two weeks, and we could supply within five days. And we also, in terms of the the profit out of you know, any profit out of the, it was treating it as a social venture too. So we found a a group called um, Children of Promise, mm-hmm. um, which are really do really amazing work for children of parents who've been incarcerated um, within within the New York community. So was sort of looking at a full circle of how we could do that and it grew it's grown um it's we've we've also had to change the products within you know the 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 city changed the the sort of how you could do planters planters Mm. were used to protect the 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 sort of restaurants from the cars um so we made them out of the plywood as well and then it's turned into structures um and the structures now uh what we're doing far more of um, creating this sort of, I mean, New York is a very different place at the moment. The streets are amazing with all of the restaurants yeah. outside. And, and there's a, I mean, at first it was so rudimentary. Now it's becoming far more expressive right? with different restaurants. So it's really a, a sort of pop-up architecture or a, a, a space making um, to be able to sort of dine safely outside of restaurants. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it has been so haphazard in terms of these parklets popping up around in these different places. Just if you go to the, the reply.org, the read dash reply, sorry, I'm butchering that, I'm sure. Um, there, you mentioned the children of promise and you mentioned the recycling. What you haven't mentioned is the, the beautification of the neighborhood as a public service. And I think that's so true, especially when a lot of these, uh, you know, urban areas have been, um, you know, looking pretty grim. There's a, a little joyful jolt of, you know, a high-touch design aesthetic that I think really, you know, is just delightfully surprising. Yeah, I think, look, I think that's important. I think that, that, that it's kind of fun too. Like these become yeah. fun. You know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, and, and, and there is actually, you don't have to be precious about what it's going to look like. It can actually yeah. be, you know, you, what we were interested in too is that the, the plywood was actually so expressive for artists. I mean, we were walking, we were doing many, many walks through the city um, and the, they became a canvas for, for the political messages, the messaging yeah. around all of the, the issues that were happening in, the unre- in, you know, in, in, um, in, in race. Um, and, and there was some amazing artwork that was produced that just popped up on the street. Um, and I think that, you know, you, 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 plywood is just a backdrop as a material. I mean, it, it can, you can, you can take anything you can, you know, so again, sort of looking at street art too, and how does street art, how do you start to you use street art within that context, um, to be able to sort of create a, a joy, joy back in the streets. I, yeah. I love that. Um, sorry, Brett. There's just what oh, yeah. reminded me of the the famous uh, cardboard cathedral in uh, in New Zealand, in Christchurch, New Zealand. Which yep. uh, you know, after that, there was for people who don't know, there was a massive earthquake in in Christchurch in 2011, and it, I believe it's on a fault line, Christchurch. So there is a, a great deal of reticence around building back a lot of significantly you know large buildings, and a, a, essentially a cathedral built out of cardboard has become this huge tourist destination. And I guess what, you know, it's like, what is the old, like if, you know, life gives you lemons. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, I, the thing is, it, sometimes these negative outcomes or negative events can have massive silver linings if only we're looking for them. So I feel like on, on a different scale, but on a very inspiring one, you, you've really done this. So th- thanks for doing that from, from humanity. <laughs> well, the other thing, it's fun. I mean, you know, yeah, the, the, yeah. the other thing is it gives you joy. It's it's fun, and and you know, for for our team, everyone some more energy into you know, everyone work in their own time to do this. We're all sort of giving, putting putting time into it because it's it's fun. It's actually, you know, it it, it takes away sometimes from the seriousness of your day job. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. I think it's obviously you took you took a moment you took something that was 
just going to be a moment where whether it was uh, billboards that had tags on them. I know you you ended up keeping and preserving some of the really beautiful ones. I heard about that. We've actually given them back. I mean, yes, we yeah. actually we actually donated. Like we you know at first we were we were claiming everything that we could claim that people <laughs> sure. would give us, yeah. and then you realize the importance of some of those. So yep. so there's there's been um, we didn't we haven't. The ones we we've only when we've used ones where we've had the artist's permission have sure. we actually used them in terms of the the furniture ourselves. Yeah, to me that's architecture res- uh, expressing values. You took you took something that was going to get thrown away and you made it into something useful that was going to help mm-hmm. uh, a community, i.e., restaurants that were struggling. Where you know the the municipal uh, guidelines were you know open and then closed and then you got to do this and you got to do that. And this just helped them get back to business. So it, it's cool to see a brilliant idea like that. Only and not only that, Bill, but you did it so punk rock. Like you just you were like, well, we don't. We're just gonna start. We're gonna start tomorrow. We're just gonna do it, and we're gonna start cutting wood, and we're gonna see what happens. And maybe people will like it, maybe they won't, but we're gonna try it. And it's just it's just that act of doing without overthinking. I think is um, is really cool. So, and I think that's one of the positive. I mean, yeah, you know, that's actually culturally. One of the really positive things about BVN as a practice is that it actually allowed us to do that. You know, we were given, I think I asked for permission of the board three weeks after we were into it. (laughs) And I was given a price, I was given an amount of money that we were allowed to lose, Ah. which is actually a nice way of putting it in terms of, um, you know, we were given a budget that keep going and don't exceed this amount of money. And, and, and we've sat within that realm, which has been great. So, and, and in fact, What's been interesting is that now, again, that reverse mentoring, it's teaching us things for our own practice. It's teaching us for things around the sort of the productization of architecture, the scaling, you know, how do you, how do, you do things cheaper? How do you reuse materials? Um, how do you engage younger teams and give them the, you know, let them take it on? So it's, again, it's been positive. It's given back far more than, we've, than, it, than it's taken. That's really cool. I was going to ask, kind of dovetailing on that, and I know we're we're getting long in the tooth here on time, but like, you know, you talk about public domain here and there and the importance of it. How do you see, you know, I'm just visualizing as we go back to work, sometimes that's in cities, sometimes that's at home, sometimes it's a hybrid, like you said, you know, there's been whole economies built around the idea of people commuting every single day. I argue that's in public space. How do you see that evolving? I'm curious. No, no, I do think. No, I think that. Well, again, it goes back to that placemaking again. Public yeah. domain. I think. I think what the pandemic showed us is the value of open space, or the value of outdoor space, yeah. and the value of the space between buildings, and how important that is, because that was the safe space for us to be in. Right. And I think, you know, the importance of. I mean, what it what it taught us was the importance of access to natural ventilation. The access to you know seeing what happens in a day and 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 feeling it, and I think that's the, in terms of if you're looking at, at public spaces, public spaces have to be able to provide places for people to to work, live, do everything. So I think I think in a way the public domain now I think we respect it. We should be respecting it more mm-hmm. and putting far more thought into into the evolution of it and what goes into activation of public space. Because, you know, it's really, I mean, where you see external performances, all of those sorts of things become, those are the things that are joyous that we you know, haven't necessarily had access to. Right. Well, uh, just talking to you is making me homesick, Bill, because I just <laughs> see, you, see you in an office where you are maskless. I mean, I, I, I know, I know. Do you know in, in office, yeah, last month. I feel right? very, very uh, you know, there's a lot of gratitude too. I think at the moment, in terms of just realizing that I mean, there's there's things that Australia has done well, but you know, there's, there's that's because we're a small population. There are a whole yeah. lot of reasons why that can happen um, with a small population um, and being on an island, but also one of the most urbanized countries. You know, you you sort of you can see different things, but there's that in in New York. What's interesting, I found, or in the US, you know, this is that people will actually, you know, you celebrate a good idea. Yeah. That, that also was the dynamic thing that, you know, that is wonderful about New York is New York, New York will come back. New York will change. Mm-hmm. The city will be different, um, but it will, it reinvents. And I think that's actually one of the beauties of the U S and, you know, the, 
the political world is reinventing. Everything is reinventing. Right. And, you know, the U.S. is putting pressure on Australia, thankfully, about our environmental, um, you know, that Australia should be far, far more in a leadership role around, around environment than, than we are. Uh, yeah, totally agree. And that's certainly been one of those elephant in the room in every Australian political conversation, uh, even just the conversation with friends I have. It's, it's always a, a bit of a lightning rod whenever that comes mm -hmm. up. And, and, you know, that, that with also, you know, the same things that we have with Indigenous issues. Oh, no doubt. So, you know, we're not, we're not, imper we're not, there's nothing perfect. It's actually just, there's a lot of learning. And, and, and I think one of the best things too is how access to learning has become, you know, through all the podcasts, through all of the um, things that we can access anywhere in the world at the moment. Yeah. Learning has actually been, I think, the big winner in some ways is that we, we can border, you know, you're not worried about borders and, and you can actually access a lot more information if, if it's not sometimes a bit overwhelming. <laughs> sure. Yeah. The right information versus yep. all the information. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's it. I mean, I, I'm yeah. super cognizant of, of your time, Bill. I yeah. know you're a busy guy, <laughs> but I just wanted to say thanks so much for coming on. It's been absolutely tremendous and uh, it's a real honor to have you on and, you know, we've had a great time and yeah, hopefully to stay in touch. Yeah, well, thanks. I really appreciate it. I mean, these sort of conversations are great and, and they're, you know, they're where all, a lot of ideas come from. So thank you. Thanks very much for the invitation. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks, Bill. Thanks for the time. It was, this was an amazing conversation. Like, thanks for just taking the time. I know your, your time's precious, like Chess said. So uh, the fact that you uh, took time to talk with us is super appreciated. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. And good luck all with right. everything. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, yeah. Yes, yeah. You are listening to The Furious Curious, hosted and produced by me, Britton Rice, and my esteemed colleague, Charlie Quirk, here from San Francisco, California. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. That includes like Apple, that includes Spotify, uh, whatever whatever works for you. Um, and wherever you get your podcasts, please rate us there. Uh, it helps us, helps us in the rankings and helps other people find us. And... Just as a personal favor, it would be <laughs> splendid if you could follow us on Instagram at the underscore furious underscore curious and on Twitter at the FRS CRS. Uh, we love hearing feedback from people in random places and in non-random places. So if you can reach out to us, that would be wonderful. We greatly appreciate your support and uh, we look forward to churning out interesting episodes for you. For a while to come yet. Yes. Constructive feedback, insults. Try to make us cry. Try to hurt us. See what you can do. It's hard to hurt our feelings. Chaz is a little more fragile than me. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. He's got the rhino skin. I'm yeah. more of a meerkat hide. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a Sen Sensitive in the armpits. We'll just say that. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Oh, until next week. Stay curious. Out. We're out. <laughs>